Hello Cornerstone, my name is Billy and I'll be doing the scripture reading today. Today we are reading 1 Peter 1, verses 1-12 through 12 from the NIV. To God's elect, Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. The Word of God. All right, good morning. Great to see you all here today. Uh, I'm Paul. I'm one of the pastors of the church, and um, especially to those of you who are um, visiting here for the first time or have been visiting for a few weeks, especially want to give you a warm welcome. And today is our welcome barbecue, so afterwards uh, we're going to have a lot of good food, great time to hang out, get to know each other, um, what we as Christians call having fellowship with one another. And so we'd love to get to know you more, so please stick around for that. And so for us here at Cornerstone, uh, we read uh, the Bible, which we believe is God's word, and we seek to um, expound upon it, explain it faithfully. And today we're starting a new series through First uh, Peter, which is a letter written by Peter, who is one of the original disciples and apostles of Jesus. So it's the same Peter that you may see in the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so uh, you can go to those gospel accounts to get a little bit better sense of who Peter is and his story and background. And uh, after Jesus uh, dies and resurrects from the grave, he ascends into heaven, and then he tells his disciples to go and preach the gospel. And so Peter is doing this himself. He is preaching the gospel, and he is um, encouraging uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus to continue on in their faith in Jesus. And so in terms of the background of the letter, he writes um, this letter to encourage um, readers to endure the suffering and persecution that they are going through, the, the many trials that they're going through. And that's a major theme uh, in this letter that we'll see. And Peter mentions that he, he's writing to Christians in places like Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. These names all refer to Roman provinces in Asia Minor. And so that's kind of like modern-day Turkey. 
uh, meaning that they had people who spoke probably many different languages in those various areas, but they were all under Roman rule at that time, Roman society, and, and, and Roman society was not very welcoming to Christianity in many ways during that time, and they were becoming more and more marginalized for their faith in broader society and culture. And perhaps uh, maybe we can see some parallels for us today as Christians as we live in broader society. And so Peter writes this letter to encourage them. And, and most uh, biblical scholars believe that this was written for the Gentiles, that meaning that they're for the, the non-Jewish people, which is significant because uh, God's promise in the Old Testament was originally for the Jews, right? The, the Torah and, and all the books of the historical of history for the Jews and all those prophets, uh, all during that time, it was for the Jews. But now we believe that it is for not just the Jews, but for all people, those ethnically outside of Israel. And that includes uh, most of us today. I don't know if any of us come from, you know, a Jewish or Israel blood, but maybe we do, but most of us today here in, in this room are what we would call Gentiles. And so uh, this is very um, reassuring for us that this gospel message is for us here today. And so we're going to go into the first uh, 12 verses of our passage. And Peter, Peter brings out this truth that even in the midst of trials, we can rejoice because even us Gentiles, we have a living hope. That's what he calls it. It is a guaranteed living hope hope. And it is not an empty hope or a vain hope, but because of Jesus and because he is alive, it is truly a living hope. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to help us here today to understand more of, of who Jesus is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, all that you have done for us in Jesus. Uh, may we understand uh, what this living hope is. And so God, um, help us and bless us to see who you are and all that you've done. And may we be encouraged by your word, and may your spirit speak to us in a powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So many of us here, if not most of us, are, are Asian American uh, in this room. And that means that uh, many of us have been born here as second generation um, Americans. Uh, we, our parents immigrated here. We were born here. Or some of us maybe came here at an early age, and so we had our formative years here in America, living in American society and culture, but also experiencing the culture of our families, right, our, our motherland, through the families that we lived with each and every day. And I've heard uh, from, from many Asian Americans that wherever we go, wherever we are, uh, we just don't feel that we quite belong, right? Now, I know some of you maybe have immigrated later in life here, and, and I think this applies to you as well where you have left your homeland and come to a new place to make this your home, and it doesn't always feel like you belong. In many ways, uh, we consider America, New Jersey, our home. This is where we want to live, we want to be, but it never quite feels like we truly belong here. Uh, and actually, uh, next week, uh, Katie will be giving a talk on this very subject, so uh, we're going to hear more about that uh, in our announcements, and so stay tuned for that. And so um, I also read in an article that travelers often feel this way, where they have been away for home, from home for a very long time, and then suddenly they have this like, extreme case of homesickness. And this one article points out that, according to some studies, most people feel that they have a meaningful life when they have intense feelings of belonging and purpose. 
And so when you travel, when you uh, are fundamentally, you are fundamentally missing that when you are traveling all over the place. And I think as Asian Americans, uh, when, I, when I've reflected personally, I've, I've felt this sense of, of being homesick, not in the sense of I miss um, my home, but in the sense of feeling like I don't truly belong, not feeling at home, struggling with my identity and wondering who I truly am. Because for many of us, we do not fit into a culture in a neat way, and we don't fit into the culture of our homeland. We don't quite fit into American culture as well. And so Peter, in our passage, points out something interesting, that as Christians, we are in this place, actually, where we do not truly belong. So if we follow Jesus, if we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are not truly where we belong. We are exiles, according to verse 1 of our passage, meaning we as believers in Jesus are exiles away from our true home because our true home is with God in heaven and it is in the new heaven and new earth that is to come. So it's normal for us to feel perhaps a little restless or unsettled here in this world. And it's, an, it's normal for us to endure suffering and persecution because we have not yet received our full reward. In a sense, we have secured this reward in our faith in Jesus but we have not yet fully received it. We will receive that in heaven or when Jesus returns, whichever comes first. And so Peter also says that not only are we just exiles, but we are elect exiles, meaning that we who believe in Jesus Christ are his chosen people. And like I said earlier, being God's chosen people only belong to Israel in the Old Testament. We see Peter mentions in, in verses 10 to 12 of our passage that the prophets prophesied and, and spoke of the grace that was to come to us. The, prophesi- the, prophet, the prophets prophesied in Israel for their salvation, and they pointed to and predicted the sufferings of Jesus that would bring all of us into the people of God. And so Peter makes this point later on as well and says that we are all a chosen race and a royal priesthood and a holy nation. And that's in chapter 2, and we'll get into that later. So we all can be one of the elect. It's not just centered on the Jews and all those who have been born again in the living hope. We are the chosen people of God, and we all receive the living hope of Christ in our faith to him. So our message for today will explore are the benefits of receiving this living hope. So I actually have just two major points here. And the first is our loving hope saves and assures us. And the second is our living hope allows us to rejoice in our suffering. And so the first benefit we receive is that our living hope saves and assures us. Peter makes it very clear here in verses 3 to 5 that we are saved from our sins. We were once destined for hell and condemnation, but now we have a great reward. He says, uh, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And so our living hope saves us, saves us from our sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we have now received an inheritance because of it. 
And this inheritance is eternal life with our God. Eternal life with God. And we will experience this when, when our bodies fail us and we die here on earth or, like I said, when Jesus returns. And this shows us that when we are first born in our physical birth, uh, we were born into sin. We were born into sin due to the fall of Adam and Eve back in Genesis every day. Just even in our personal lives, we see that. And so we believe that we are all sinful. And, and Peter later on in the chapter calls being born of a corruptible seed. But now when we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we believe that we are born again. We are born with an incorruptible seed because now we have received the Holy Spirit by our faith in Christ and in the finished work of salvation when he died on the cross. And so that means that we are renewed. We are transformed. We get a a foretaste of God's glory and grace here and now through our union with Jesus when we believe in him. We have this communion with our God. Now, that doesn't mean that we become perfect in this life after we have faith in Jesus, but we are counted as righteous. We are declared righteous because Jesus took our sins. He took our sins and died on our behalf. He took our place, and therefore, on this side of eternity, we are still imperfect. We still mess up. We still miss the mark. That's what sin literally means in the Greek. We miss the mark, but we can grow in our maturity and faith and be more and more like Jesus over time. So on the other side of eternity, we will be made perfect in holiness by his spirit. Now, my hope is that for us Christians that we would never forget how important this truth is, that Jesus saved us, and that our only hope is truly in Jesus Christ who lives. If you put your faith in Christ if, and you put your faith in him that he is God, that he came to live and die, and he, he died on the cross for our sins, and he has defeated death and sin when he rose from the grave. If you believe that, you have been saved. And perhaps for so, those of us who may not believe that, who have never really heard of this, I hope and pray that you would truly know and believe because there really is nothing else in this world that can save you. Nothing in this world that can truly satisfy you or fulfill you. It is in in Jesus alone that we have received a living hope, a real hope, a true hope that has saved us from our sins. And I think oftentimes, especially as Christians, we lose sight of Jesus um, as the center of our Christian walk. As soon as we have faith in Jesus, many of us in the church, we start thinking, okay, what can I do now? You know, what can I do now? We want to mature in our faith quickly, and we want to begin serving the church and start evangelizing and, and, and making disciples and reaching out to other people and telling them about Jesus. And that is all good and important. The hope is that if you believe in what Jesus truly did and that he is your, your God and your Savior, that you would want to begin to live differently, right? You would want to begin to share the gospel with other people, to those around you. But what I've seen sometimes is that in our desire to live the Christian life well, we actually end up forgetting, forgetting the centrality of Jesus and of the gospel. And instead, like the Pharisees of the New Testament, we tend to be so focused on on living on mission to God or living to obey God and the law that we become very legalistic or moralistic in that we care so much about our actions and, and following the law instead of actually caring about worshiping God and remembering Jesus at the center. 
And what, what results is oftentimes that we either have self-hatred if we can't live up to the standards, meaning we hate ourselves for not being good enough, or we have a self-inflation because we think we actually have lived up to the standards. We think so highly of ourselves because we think we are good enough. And that's how the recently deceased Pastor Tim Keller once put it. So to give an example, there was once a church leader who had, been, uh, who had become a Christian. He had served the church faithfully, had been known to um, lead music and, and preside over worship and even preach occasionally, meaning give the message like I am here today. And many people in the church viewed him as a good role model in the faith. However, um, one night, another church member had spotted this man um, or this person at a bar or restaurant, and the church member could tell he was mildly inebriated meaning he was a little drunk. And so this church member brought this concern to the other elders, just saying that, yeah, I noticed you know, this church leader in public being drunk. Uh, with him saying that a member, uh, yeah, a member raised this to the elders. And thankfully, um, the elders brought this to the, the member, the, to the leader, and he immediately confessed, and he sought repentance for what he did. Now, you may think, that's great. He, he, he confessed to what he did, and, and this should be pretty much the end of the story. But actually, that church leader began to spiral afterwards. He, he just felt so unworthy of everything that he, he resigned or he removed himself from all leadership and service. He even asked at one point to be disciplined um, and to be, um, to, to be suspended from partaking of the Lord's Supper, which is actually a very extreme form of discipline in the church, saying that you should not uh, take the Lord's Supper, which is for Christians as we believe, right? And we believe that uh, if you're not coming in a worthy manner, you should not take of it. And so he was saying, oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not going to take the Lord's Supper anymore. And so the, the elders were shocked at this response because this was such an extreme response to this incident where, yes, a church leader should not be drunk. That's what the Bible says. We should not be uh, drunk, especially in public. But does that mean that a person is immediately disqualified from all leadership positions of the church? Of course, no. You know, and, and after further discussion, it became clear that this church leader had a much bigger issue in his heart. And the issue is that he originally had such a high view of himself. He was self-inflated because he thought he was living up to the standards of public leadership and that he was worthy of this position. So it made him think much more highly of himself, that he was a righteous, good person who deserved you know, all the praise for being a faithful leader. But once he sinned, he spiraled into self-pity and self-hatred because he did not live up to the standards that he had set for himself. I hope we're getting a picture of what happens when we lose sight of Jesus at the center of everything. You see, when we lose sight of Jesus and the gospel, we forget that we are sinners. We are all sinners in need of his grace. We forget that it is not by any effort that we put in uh, that we attain righteousness Right? It is not our effort that makes us faithful. No, it is the living hope of the Spirit in us that is working in us. Only because of Jesus' saving work on the cross can we do anything that is good. So we shouldn't be surprised when we sin. It shouldn't, be, it shouldn't destroy us into self-pity. It should lead us to repentance and humility so that we would trust in Jesus that much more. And so when we keep the gospel and Jesus at the center of everything we do, we can live the Christian life not out of a sense of self-righteousness, but we can truly live it in humility. 
Right? And this church leader lost sight of the gospel. He believed, he believed the gospel. He believed in Jesus, of course, but it started to become a peripheral part of the Christian life, kind of in the back burner, not the core or at the center of the Christian life. It is all about Jesus and what he has done for us. And may we never lose sight of that as we seek to honor him, as we seek to go and make disciples, as we seek to be faithful in all that we do. You know, when we tend to have self-hatred, let us remember that we are secure in the living hope of Jesus, that no matter what we've done, we are redeemed by his grace given to us on the cross. And when we tend to have this self-inflation, let us remember to humble ourselves before our God and remember that not only is he our Savior, he is our judge who could have poured out his wrath upon us because of our sinful rebellion. We deserve punishment. We are nothing without Jesus. We are nothing without the Holy Spirit. Let us remember these truths every single day. Let us make Jesus and the gospel at the center of our Christian walk. In addition to receiving salvation from, the living hope, from our living hope, we have assurance knowing that this living hope can never be taken away. It is an inheritance that can never perish. That's what Peter says. It can never perish, fade away, can never spoil. It is eternal. It has been guaranteed. Peter says that in verse 4 of our passage. And additionally, we can be assured of this living hope because of how Christ's work fulfills the prophecies of old. The prophets in the Old Testament pointed to our salvation according to verses 10 to 12 of our passage that I mentioned earlier. God promised salvation through Jesus in the witness of the Old Testament prophets. And Paul says it was revealed to them, the prophets, for us. So for us living in the A.D. and not the B.C., we can see the amazing work of God throughout history. Right? Seeing how God has laid out his plan from the very beginning. Seeing it written throughout history over thousands of years. And seeing it ultimately fulfilled in Jesus' death and resurrection. This should give us confidence in his word and the promises of God that have been given to us. We can trust in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament because of Jesus. Jesus is the historical figure we can trust. We can trust that he truly rose from the grave. He is the self-proclaimed son of God who literally rose. Let us put our confidence in him, the one whom God promised us thousands of years ago dozens of years ago, who has proven to be truly the savior of the world. We can have full confidence in that truth. And so the second benefit we receive is that our living hope allows us to rejoice in suffering. Peter tells us that we can greatly rejoice even though we have to suffer trials and grief for a little while. And then he says this, he says, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So what Peter is saying there is that these sufferings are, are God's will for us so that our faith may be purified or refined and it can be proven to be genuine. So because of that, we should rejoice and be glad when we go through suffering because it's actually for our benefit, for our good. It's for our refinement and purity. 
Now, there are plenty of other reasons why we can rejoice in suffering, and we won't get into all of that today. And Peter mentions more of how and why we can rejoice in suffering later on in this letter. So in the weeks ahead, we'll get into that. Um, and, and the reality is, though, that the trials and sufferings are a part of the Christian life. You know, all of us will endure it in some form or fashion. And that's the reality of all, all people in all walks of life. We endure some type of suffering and trials. And almost all the authors of the New Testament speak of suffering in this way. They speak of it as a given. It's going to happen to you. It is a natural part of believing in something that sinners reject and the devil actively works against. But it is genuinely for our good, for our sanctification, sanctification meaning for our transformation, for us to trust in Jesus and to turn to him in our times of need. Now, you know, I think some of you may still be tempted to think that this is some kind of game of gotcha that God is trying to play with us, right? But going through trials genuinely reveals whether our faith is sincere or not. So to give an example, uh, let's say I had a baseball bat made out of solid wood and a baseball bat made out of aluminum foil. Not an aluminum bat, aluminum foil. Now, all of us can guess what's going to happen when I try to hit a baseball bat with aluminum foil, right? However, unless we actually try hitting the baseball with a bat made out of aluminum foil, I can just claim, oh, an aluminum foil bat is amazing, right? It's so strong. It's so powerful. Look how shiny it is and how silver it is, right? Of course, this bat is going to be better than a wooden bat. I can make that claim all I want, and you cannot refute it unless we actually try hitting the baseball. When we test a bat, that is when we know which bat is a, a real bat and which bat is just a cheap imitation. And similarly, when we endure trials as believers in Jesus, we are purified and refined and our genuine faith is revealed and we are usually stronger for it. However, if our weak has a, I mean, our, our faith is on a weak foundation. If our faith is some, on something that is weak, then it will most likely crumble and fall apart. And we can see some of that after uh, our, our, the pandemic that happened. I'm not you know, talking about our church specifically here, but you know, God was actually very gracious to us in that we didn't lose a lot of people um, after the pandemic. But throughout the U.S., so many churches were decimated by the pandemic. So many people who regularly attended just stopped going to church. Now, after enduring the hardship of the pandemic, which we all endured, whether it was out of inconvenience or perhaps uh, the pandemic was just a perfect excuse for people to drop out and stray away from church. Now, that doesn't mean these people can't come back to the church and we pray that they will one day return and we should be actively reaching out to those who have left and invite them back but it means that this trial has led to them leaving the church. But there are those who persevered as well, who continued to trust in Jesus during those two long years of meeting online, especially for us as a church. That's how long we met online. And, and they have faithfully returned to the church and have matured and grown in faith. And I especially am thankful for our youth students who persevered during those two long years of meeting online. And... You know, it's not just the youth in our church. It's many of us here who, who have been able to persevere. And we give all the credit and glory to God. Praise God for his faithfulness, not only for those who have persevered 
and have been refined at our church, but in the church all over the world, how God has continued to sustain his church. And our living hope allows us to rejoice, rejoice in, in these trials, because when we endure these trials as believers, uh, in many, many ways we become stronger as a result. It refines us, it, it purifies us. And so to, to recap all of this, our, our living hope saves and assures us. Our living hope allows us to rejoice in suffering. We followers of Christ are, we are indeed exiles. When we say we believe in Jesus, we, we say that we are not truly at home. Right? We, we are restless because of it. We feel like we don't quite belong in this world. But we have been saved because of Jesus. And we can be sure, assured of our faith and have confidence, full confidence in Jesus, the one who fulfills the scriptures of the Old Testament. He is our living hope. And may that living hope be at the center of all of our lives. Because when Jesus is central, when we trust in him and lean on him, and we humble ourselves before him, and remember that it is all the work that he has done, it is all because of Jesus and what his spirit is doing, then we can rejoice. We can truly rejoice in trials because we know trials are refining us, purifying us. And so may we pray and hope that God would help all of us believe in our living hope so that we can endure trials that may come. And for those of us who, again, may not believe in this living hope, I pray that you see a glimpse of that here today in our passage and what Jesus has done for you, and that he has saved you. He has saved you from your sin, from your failures. He offers something so much better than the world can offer, a security, a true hope. And not only does it give us a great inheritance in the future, it truly gives us so many blessings here and now, a peace, a joy, a comfort that nothing else can truly offer. And so I hope and pray the Spirit is working in your life and heart as well. So let's, uh, let's pray together. Come to our God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, your Son, who came down to be one of us, that he is our living hope. That even though we deserved death and condemnation, Lord, you have given us salvation instead. And we have full confidence in this salvation because we have seen the great testimonies and witnesses and thousands of years of history of you proclaiming and promising your salvation. And it has all come to fruition in Jesus Christ. Help us, O oh Lord, to put our faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone, to believe in him that he is truly your son, that he walked among us as a person, that he, he, lived, and died a per, he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross and took our place, took our sins away so that we would not have to suffer that punishment. Lord, help us to believe in that truth, to make that truth, the gospel of Jesus, the good news, to make him the center of our lives, that in times of need and struggle that we would lean on him that much more, that we would humble ourselves before him so that as we live our everyday lives, that we would not forget everything we do is because of Jesus. Everything we have is because of Jesus. 
And Lord, when trials come, may we endure with joy, endure these trials with joy because we know that trials and, and struggles are for our good, that it refines us, that it truly reveals our sincere faith, and that it would lead to us to trust in you more. May that be what happens, Lord. May we be stronger as a result, and may it lead us ultimately to worship you, worship you, give glory to you, and to live for you every day, to share the love of Jesus to our neighbors and friends, and to truly live as uh, people who have received an amazing gift that you have given us. And so God, help us to uh, live according to your truth, according to your ways, because of Jesus, the one who has saved us. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.